Thank you, thank you. So wonderful to hear about your ministry. Always a blessing to have you. All right, church, if you would stand with me as we open the scriptures together. We're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, and then 16 to 18. We're going to skip over the Lord's Prayer and then return to that next week. Chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Skipping down to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. Help us to see our own hearts this morning, where we need to be in line with what you say. Help us to repent. And Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, well, as Pastor Brandon mentioned, the NCAA men's basketball tournament is upon us, and so that has me excited as an IU basketball fan. And uh, it's an exciting time of year because there's nothing really like that tournament with uh, one game elimination. But thinking about men's basketball, I have a stat that I want to share with you. And it's from this year in the Big Ten for men's basketball. The record of the away team was 55-97. and 55-97. and So when a team went on the road, they won a little bit better than one out of every three games. One out of every three. There's something about a team being on the road that just changes the dynamic and the way that they play. And you see this in the professional ranks as well. It's not as pronounced as it is in college, but it is there. The home team usually wins. Something about playing in front of people that aren't rooting for you changes things. There's something deep down inside of us that longs for the praise of others. And you can see in games when crowds just kind of take over and the road team just wilts in the face of pressure. And generally, the more mature a team, the better they're able to withstand that kind of pressure. But it's real. We respond to the people around us and their praise. It's real. Now, obviously, Jesus in this passage probably does not have sporting events in mind. 
But he is touching on something in our hearts where we crave the praise of men. Now, we have been in this sermon series, in the Sermon on the Mount, we've been looking at a greater righteousness that Jesus calls his people to have. There's three teaching sections of the Sermon on the Mount, and last week we finally finished the first big block of teaching, and now we're kind of moving into the second teaching block. The first block was about this greater righteousness that God's people have with regards to the law. And we saw that our hearts need to line up with our mouths and line up with our hands. It's kind of this whole person righteousness. And he's going to continue this theme of this whole person, greater righteousness, but he's moving away from the law and now is moving into your devotional life, into your spiritual life, into your piety, if you will. So that's where he moves in this section that we just read today. And so we're kind of going from looking at righteousness in regards to what we do and how we interact with the law to how I actually live out my spiritual life. And really the summary of this first or sorry this second teaching block is in verse 1, chapter 6 verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, Jesus in this section is not warning against public displays of religious observance. After all, we're in the church and we see the church continually doing public displays of religious expression. But what he is warning against is why you do them. Because he says, in order to be seen by them. And he hits on this a lot in this section. And he says that, you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, this section is also not about, well, how do I kind of get a bunch of rewards in heaven? And if I kind of live out my life for other people to see and I'm a hypocrite, well, you know, I still, you know, I won't get any rewards, but I'll still go to heaven. That's not really the point that Jesus is making. Jesus is kind of saying, look, this is what the people of the kingdom look like. The people that aren't in the kingdom look like this over here where they stand on the street corners and they blow the trumpets and they disfigure their faces so that everybody knows that they're fasting. So like the rest of the sermon, he's describing this is what the people of God are like. And the people of God are going to receive a reward. Now, he gives three examples in this section, and there's a clear structure. You might have noticed that it's a very similar thing that he says. First, he says, you know, when you do your act of righteousness, whichever it may be, and then he goes on to say, don't do it like the hypocrites, and he uses that word hypocrites three times, and then he kind of describes what they do and why they do it, which is to be seen or to be praised, but then he goes on to say how the Christian ought to do it, and then reminds them of the Father's reward. So that's the, the similar kind of breakdown of, each, uh, of each, each section does that exact same thing. The wording is almost identical, using even almost the same number of words in the Greek. Uh, it's very highly structured. So when we dive into this, when he says, beware of practicing your righteousness, before we kind of get into these, these points today, I want to ask, well, what does that mean, practicing righteousness? Because we need to figure that out first before we can go on. Well, in our relationship with the Lord, there are certain things that we do to cultivate devotion, to cultivate our relationship with Him. They don't cause our relationship with the Lord. They don't make Him happier with us. We already have His pleasure in Christ through what Jesus did on the cross. 
But there are ways that we kind of till the soil or that we naturally live out our Christian life. And Jesus lands on three things, almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. Well, why those three things? Well, in Jewish life of Jesus' day, those three things were really big. We see it in rabbinic writings. Those were the things that they always talked about. Spiritual people do these things. It's like if you're going to be a good spiritual Jew, well, these are the three things that need to be part of your life. These three acts of righteousness were integral to their lives. So each of these things, and and this list is not meant to be exhaustive. These These three things are not because Jesus is only speaking about these three things. He's really addressing our hearts the same way he's been doing that in the whole sermon. But I do want to highlight, well, what exactly are these three things? Almsgiving is not exactly the same thing as tithing. They lived in a society where there was no social safety net provided by the government. And so there was actually a network of, uh, of kind of systems that were in place that the community brought about that people gave to. And this was a big deal. They actually even had limits on how much you could give so that you wouldn't give yourself into poverty. They were big on giving into these systems where the poor would be provided for. And so that's what Jesus says when you give to the needy. He's talking about this way that the people of his day would give so that the needy would be provided. It was an ongoing thing. The second thing, obviously, is prayer. And I think we understand that today, this idea of talking with the Lord and coming together as the people of God and talking with the Lord. But one thing that they would do, generally different from us today, was that they would often pray out loud, almost exclusively out loud. The idea of kind of the silent prayer by yourself, that wasn't really existent. In the same way, when they read, they read aloud. So they prayed aloud, they read aloud. I don't know why they didn't speak to themselves and to the Lord in their head, but that's the way that it was. Then you get this third idea of fasting, so almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. And that's less common in our Christian culture today, which I think is sad. I think we ought to be fasting more. But it's through fasting, or Jesus mentions fasting because that was a common thing of Jesus' day. The Pharisees fasted twice a week. And in fasting, it's not, we're not supposed to do it in order to get something from God or to put on a show, but we fast in order to show our dependence upon the Lord, and remind ourselves of our need for Him. Now, the best modern parallel that we have for all of these three things really is probably just spiritual disciplines. I think when we talk about Jesus saying, uh, beware of practicing your righteousness in front of others, I think we can, it's, it's best for us to think of that as spiritual disciplines. Beware of practicing those spiritual things that you do in your Christian life in front of others in order to be seen by them. The spiritual disciplines. It's those things we do to help us walk with the Lord. Now, I'm not really going to unpack each one of these as we go through any more than I just did. So I'm going to take these as a group and kind of show the comparisons. But the first thing I want you to notice that in all three of them, Jesus says, when and not if. When you practice these things, when you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast, not if, when, when. If someone were to examine your life, would they actually observe any real spiritual disciplines? Sure, we're here at church this morning, but are we in the Word? Do you spend time in prayer? 
Do you spend time fasting? Do you spend time in fellowship with other believers? Do we do those things, or do we just give lip service to them? Oh yeah, I'm a Christian, and I show up at church, and I'm faithful. I even serve, but does your private life, not that it's supposed to be public, but if someone did see it, would they see anything at all? I think that's a question that those whens force us to wrestle with. Are these part of my life? Now, I said this before, but I want us to keep in mind as we proceed that Jesus is not just speaking about these three specific things, but it's our entire kind of our, our entire basket of devotional practices. What is my heart? All right. Now, these practices help connect us to the Lord, or they cultivate our hearts. But because they do that, these things become norms within our church communities. We should be doing these things. But because we're also a community that should be doing these things, oftentimes they become kind of markers or norms for what you ought to be doing and what people ought to be able to see, which then opens the door for our heart to start doing them for the wrong reasons. I know that I should be doing these things, and I know that people are looking, and so I start doing it for the exact reason that Jesus warns me against. So that leads us to our first slide for today. Our first point, excuse me. We crave the praise of others, so we often do our spiritual disciplines as a performance to earn their applause. We crave the praise of others, so we often do our spiritual disciplines as a performance to earn their applause. Jesus would not have to give us a warning if this wasn't already our inclination. You know, I don't have to warn my kids about eating their vegetables. You know, watch out kids, you might eat too much. Like, no, that that never ever happened in the Johnson household. All right? But this is our hearts. We crave the praise of others. And the spiritual disciplines stop becoming about us connecting with the Lord and us kind of creating this show for other people. Now, this should seem kind of obvious as we read through the section. And actually, today's points, very obvious. Hopefully you walk away from this and be like, oh yeah, okay, that, that makes sense. All right, so we're not, we're not getting like particularly deep with insightful things, but hopefully, Lord willing, these are things that we need to hear because it's true of what's going on in our hearts. And Jesus is drawing attention to our motives and not the reality that people will see our disciplines. He's drawing attention to our hearts. Okay. Now, in the three things, these are how the the hypocrites do it. In verse 2, 5, and 16. They sound a trumpet. They love to stand and pray where they can be seen. They disfigure their faces. Those are kind of the three ways that these things are described. Now, Basically, you see that they're seeking to draw attention, and they're doing it in a publicly obvious way. They're making sure, oh yeah, you need to know. You need to know what's going on inside me, how awesome my spiritual life is. And Jesus sums it up three times. I've got it underlined, that they may be praised, and that they may be seen, and that they may be seen. It's all about what's happening out there. It's the hypocrites who do this. I talked about hypocrites last week, the idea of putting on a mask where the internal doesn't match the external. They appear spiritual, but they are doing it for the praise of men, which shows that they aren't actually spiritual at all. And they're missing the entire point of why you do it. 
And Jesus says, they have received their reward. They get the praise of men. Jesus says, truly I say to you. Now, this is like a strong word. Like, truly I say to you. Like, don't get me wrong here, people. I really want you to know that what they're doing is not worth it. Truly I say to you, they've got their reward. There's nothing else coming. Their reward doesn't last. Now, there's kind of generally two types of people, two camps that we can fall into. You either love being the center of attention, and you love the praise of other people, or you're kind of like, eh, you know, I would prefer if people didn't look at me. Uh, Rox is in the nursery, but she, she will, will t- gladly tell you this, so I'm going to share a little bit about her. I, I've said this before, but on our wedding day, she was very uncomfortable. Not because she was marrying me, at least I hope that wasn't, wasn't the case. So uh, it's been 13 years, so I think, think uh, it wasn't that. But it was because everybody was looking at her. Now me, I get up in front of you every week, and I'm, I'm comfortable with everybody looking at me and me being the one with the microphone. Like, that, that's fun for me, okay? I loved my wedding day. So you're either a rock star or you're the nervous Nelly. Or not nervous Nelly, nice Nelly. That's what I have written down. Sorry, you're the nice Nelly. I couldn't get a, an R to work, work with Roxanne. So um, the nice Nelly. And you may be feeling, if you're in kind of the camp of the nice Nellies or with my wife, you may be feeling, okay, I don't really do things for other people to see. How does this apply to me? Because it's obvious how the rock star wants it. It's like, I mean, come on, you know, let's, let's, let's praise me, you know. Yeah, yeah, thank you. No. <laughs> now, if, if, but if you are in that more, I don't like being the center of attention. And this is something Rox has shared with me. You know, she says, you know what? It's not necessarily, I, the attention makes me uncomfortable, but it's, it's because I don't want the public applause, I want the internal private applause. I want others to think I'm nice and I have it together. I'd rather them not think about me because maybe if they don't think about me, they won't think that anything's wrong with me. Which, you know what? That's the other side of the coin of the rock star. The rock star just thinks he's awesome, but if I don't want to be the center of attention, I'm still saying the praise of other people is my driving force. I just don't want them to notice me, because reality, I just want them to praise me in their hearts. I don't want the applause. I don't live for their public applause, but I do live for the applause of their hearts. I want them to like me. So why do we crave the praise of others? Because it's not just, it's not good enough for me to just stand up here and be like, hey, just don't desire the praise of others, everybody. Because everybody wants the praise of others, whether you're the rock star or the nice Nelly. Everybody wants that. So I can't just say, stop it. How, or we need to understand why we crave it if we're going to actually move past it. Well, the scriptures tell us it's because we have a fear of man instead of a fear of God. And by fear, I don't just mean this trembling, ooh, it could be that, but more so that I just need or will be controlled by something. That type of fear. That's the way the scriptures speak about fear. And that's the bigger issue that Jesus is getting at in this section. He says, does the fear of man or does the praise of man control you? He says, don't be controlled by that. Because if you're controlled by that, those spiritual things that you do are going to be twisted and morphed. And they'll stop being about you connecting with your father and you being obedient and you loving me. Instead, he says, it's going to be about trying to get something for other people. He says, don't be controlled by that. 
Ed Welch, um, he has a book called When People Are Big and God is Small. I highly recommend this book if you have an issue with wanting to please people. Uh, this is one of the best books out there. It's called When People Are Big and God is Small by Ed Welch. He says this in his book. He says, we see people as bigger, that is more powerful and significant than God. And out of the fear that creates in us, we give other people the power and right to tell us what to feel, think, and do. We start to crave their praise. So how can I get it? Oh, I know. I'm fasting today. Maybe people will think well and highly of me if they knew that I'm fasting and they know that I'm a spiritual person. That's, that's what I'll do. And Jesus is like, no, don't be controlled by that. Don't be controlled by that. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. It's, he's safe. We don't need the praise of men out there because we have something far better from our Father. From our Father. So, to repeat, we crave the praise of others, so we often do our spiritual disciplines as a performance to earn their applause. Yesterday, I was talking with Sam Callahan in the hot tub. He was telling me how he spent a couple hours on the bike trainer. If you don't know what a bike trainer is, it's basically, you know, you... It controls the back wheels of your bike so you can ride it indoors, you know, without actually going anywhere. It's like a treadmill, um, but you're actually riding your bike. And uh, one of the things Sam said to me was, you know, obviously it's tiring to ride the bike for two hours. But he said it's more of a mental exhaustion than even a physical exhaustion. Because you're just kind of sitting there going nowhere. You know, when you're riding a bike out, you know, out, out, in t- out of town and you're, you're seeing stuff go by, you know, generally cornfields and that's about it. But you're seeing something. But when you're on a bike trainer or a treadmill, you go nowhere. And that's what the praise of man brings. Nothing. You go nowhere. You take one step, you get the praise, and what do you know? Oh, it's gone. So i got to do the exact same thing again. And I've gone nowhere. So how do we get off the treadmill? Because Jesus shows us that he didn't care what other people thought. He wasn't out for their praise. He went all the way to the cross. So how do I get off the treadmill and be somebody different? Because Jesus wants to change our desires. He wants us to love the Lord more than the praise of other people. How do we get off? Well, main point two. Followers of Jesus crave pleasing the Lord, and consequently they are content if no one sees their spiritual disciplines. Followers of Jesus crave pleasing the Lord, and consequently they are content if no one sees their spiritual disciplines. So I get off the treadmill by understanding that I need to please the Lord. And that, that requires a heart change. We're going to look at how to get there in a minute. But that is the answer. Not the praise of man, but the praise of the Lord. Not the love of other people, but the love of God. And Jesus says, describing our behavior in verses 3, 6, and 17, are you willing to do all of these things in a way that no one would notice. Jesus uses hyperbole throughout the sermon, and I think, again, he's using this because otherwise you could never ever pray with other people, and we see the early church and Jesus himself doing that. So Jesus is not saying you can never do spiritual disciplines in public, but he is saying, are you willing to do them in a way that nobody would see? If nobody ever saw your walk with Jesus... Would you be okay with it? It's like, oh, you know, that's, 
It's a good question. Would I be okay with that? Am I content? I'm convinced that when we get to heaven, the most spiritual person, the person, the greatest Christian of all time, is not going to be somebody famous that we all know. I believe it will be an obscure widow or widower who spent hours every day on his or her knees praying for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done. I'm convinced of that. It's someone that is not known. Someone that is living out a quiet and non-disruptive life, loving Christ with everything he or she has. Now, I want to give a warning that what Jesus is saying here is not an excuse to privatize our prayer life. Because sometimes we read this and it's like, okay, I'm not going to pray in public. You know, I don't want to put on a show. I think sometimes we experience that when we're in like a group of prayer and we're like, ah, I'm not going to say anything because I don't, I just, one, I don't know how to pray in front of other people and it's going to be weird and that's doing it for the praise of other people. Or I should say that's not doing it for the praise of other people. And so Jesus is explicitly warning against that. So some people, yeah, maybe you need to stop doing the long showy prayers, myself included. It's like, okay, you know, maybe I need to keep my mouth shut for a change. But for other people, God may be saying, maybe you need to speak up. Maybe you need to come to Tuesday night prayer and pray with other people because you're considering the praise of others as more important than the praise of God. It goes both ways. It goes both ways. All right, so just a quick application under this second point. Seek to exercise some disciplines in secret and see what that reveals in your heart. Try fasting and telling no one about it. And see how you feel. I mean, you'll feel hungry. But see how you feel emotionally about other people not knowing. And I think that will show you, okay, oh my goodness, I am craving God's, or sorry, the the praise of other people in some way, shape, or form. You know, how would you feel if all of your giving happened online and nobody knew? Which I recommend that, by the way. Giving online consistently. You can do it in the church app. But, um... How would I feel about that? Even if I never dropped anything in that box back there. But I just gave quietly online. Now, how do we grow in craving pleasing the Lord? Because that was the phrase that I used, this idea of craving pleasing the Lord. So how do we grow in that? It's this. We have a heavenly Father who sees and rewards We have a heavenly Father who sees and rewards. This is the only way, the only way that I can grow in this is to understand just how good God is. I I need to see that the Father's approval is better. Because this isn't, I don't want to give you just a stop it solution. I want to say look to Christ. Because as you look to the Father, That will change how you look at others. And specifically, you won't need to get anything from them. They're not going to offer you anything that the Father hasn't already given you. And that word Father is very important. This phrase pops up three times at the end of each section, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And each time, it's your Father. We have a Heavenly Father. There's 17 references to the Heavenly Father in the Sermon on the Mount, Ten of them come in this section, including the the Lord's Prayer, which we we skipped over. 
So there's this big emphasis on knowing that there is a family relationship that we have with God Most High. He is not just the God who is up there, who is just above all and doesn't care a thing about what goes on in our world. He is the Heavenly Father. He is family. He is with us. He is with us. He brings connection. He brings purpose. In the ancient Near East, your family brought you purpose. You had a purpose based on what your family was about and what they did. That is our Heavenly Father. And He is a Heavenly Father who sees. Who sees. And this isn't meant as a threat. It's meant as a comfort. All those things that we do, and we're wondering, does this matter? Does God care? Jesus says, yes. Your Heavenly Father sees We do them in secret, and He sees, and He cares, and He comes, and He loves us. Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10, David is reflecting on God and His glory, and he says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Oh, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Oftentimes in the scriptures, when we talk about God's kind of all-knowing, all-seeing, it's meant as kind of a warning to the non-believers and that they will say to the mountains, fall on us on the day of judgment because they want to hide from God Almighty. But here we see the psalmist, and Jesus picks up on this idea and says that for the believer, the gaze of God is a great comfort to us. It is exactly what we need. We need to know that our God sees that pain, that discomfort, the tragedy, but also just the monotony of daily life as we struggle to walk through The scriptures, as we struggle to pray. I mean, this morning I was pretty tired. Something about losing an hour last night. And I'm sitting there trying to pray. And I'm like, ooh, this this is hard. But we're reminded, God sees. Nothing you do goes unnoticed by our Father. And what does He do? He rewards. He rewards. Now, this reward is not, oh, I do this to get stuff from God. But it's in the same way that I do loving things for my wife. And she then does loving things and rewards me. Not out of a, oh, I owe you now. But out of a delight in relationship. That back and forth love that people have for one another. We've been given salvation. But I think of like the infomercial that says, but wait, there's more. We've been given all things in Christ, but somehow, as we walk through eternity with our God, He will be continually giving us more, 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 and more. Our Father rewards. What are those rewards then? Well, the Scriptures speak of crowns in heaven, but I think ultimately we don't even know. It's not something we can fathom. But all of these rewards revolve around Christ, and when we look at them, it's not really about us and what we do. It's about Him. The scriptures tell us that we'll lay down those rewards and that, those crowns at Christ's feet and be like, Jesus, these belong to you. But that will be a glorious day. We'll delight in that. And Jesus here says, there are these rewards. And we don't do these things in order to get them, but we do do these things out of a joy and a delight. And we are motivated by the reality that they are real. They are real. 
His reward is better than the praise of men because it meets our deepest need. God himself is our deepest need. So the greatest reward he can give us is himself. So when I am practicing my disciplines and I'm doing it for the Lord, I am getting even a reward now, a reward of being with him. Computer software used to be this kind where you'd buy it once, you'd own your disk, and that was that. You had it forever and ever until your computer got too old and was no good for it. But now, computer software is subscription service, right? You pay $10 a month and you get this. God's rewards is like buying that physical copy where you have it forever. And the praise of men is that monthly subscription service where you got to keep paying over and over and over again and it offers us nothing. Do you look for the praise of others and see that as better than whatever the Lord can bring? Man, woe to us if we see the praise of others and we say, yeah, that's what I want. God, you can't offer me anything. To wrap up, one commentator said, only a fool, only a fool desires treasure that doesn't last. And that's exactly what the praise of others is. Treasure that doesn't last. So for our response, Father, help me to see that your reward is better. If I want to not love the reward or the praise of other men, which my heart craves, then I have to see that God himself and his reward is better. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for your kindness. We thank you that you see in secret and that you are our Father. Father, we confess that we have loved the praise of others and we've let the spiritual things that we do be a source for praise instead of a way to connect with you. Father, help us to repent of that. Help us to not crave the praise of others, but may we crave your reward. May we crave you. May we crave connecting with you because you are our God. Father, help us to see that you are better and your reward is better. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.